In this way, the Romans have forced the prisoners to take part in each other's executions, each attempted escape coming at the expense of the life and the suffering of another man. Meanwhile, the crowd cheers, eats, and laughs at the suffering and humiliation of the prisoners, and they make bets on the gruesome spectacle unfolding before them as the arena becomes splattered with 150 liters of blood. This is just one instance among a legion of examples of the brutal acts committed by the Romans for centuries. Inspiring some of the cruelest villains of fiction, the Romans were callous and sadistic, even by ancient standards. Hello everyone, that was a clip from YouTuber Simon Whistler's presentation, Empire of Psychopaths, what led the Romans to be quite so brutal. The video explores the theory that the Romans were as vicious as they were because they'd been poisoning themselves with lead in their aqueducts. Simon Whistler goes through the for and against arguments for this theory, but what isn't in doubt is that the Romans operated on an entirely different moral framework than we do. They had no qualms about slavery, torture, genocide, and mass execution of the innocent. One historian who's highlighted this in recent years is Tom Holland. In his book, Dominion, he makes the case that our morality is the product of the Christian era and would make no sense in the pre-Christian Roman culture. Whatever this moral shift owes to Christianity, it does seem to have happened. There are acts the Romans committed that would be unthinkable today. They would conflict with the very foundations of our society's ethical values. I've been listening to Tom Holland's podcast recently, The Rest is History, and came across this example from an episode on the Roman use of crucifixion. If you're a slave and you kill your master, then not only you, not only are you crucified, but everyone in the household is crucified. That again is ridiculously harsh. Well, so this happens, I think, it, I'm trying to remember, it's Tacitus writes about it. I think it's in the reign of Nero that um, uh, a senator is, is murdered by one of his slaves and there's something like kind of five, he has 500, 600 slaves, something like that, with women and children. And actually, even the Romans are appalled at the prospect of you know, all these slaves who are entirely innocent being killed. And there is a kind of, um, there's a kind of brief campaign to say, well, do we really need to do this? But they decide, yeah, we do. So the whole lot, the whole lot get crucified. Wow. That is, that is, I was about to say that's tough love, but there's no love in it. No, there's no love in that at all. It's just no, tough. It's just tough. I found the passage in the Annals of Tacitus that Tom Holland is referring to. Perhaps I felt the need to look it up, as it's just so unbelievable to modern ears. I shall read it out in full. Begin quote. A slave murdered the city prefect, either because he had just been refused his freedom, for which he had made a bargain, or in jealousy for a love which he could not brook his master's rivalry. Ancient custom required that the whole slave establishment which had dwelt under the same roof should be dragged to execution, when a sudden gathering of the populace which was for saving so many innocent lives, brought matters to an actual insurrection. Even in the Senate, there was a strong feeling on the part of those who shrank from the extreme rigour, though the majority were opposed to any innovation. Of these, Caius Cassius, in giving his vote, argued to the following effect. Often I have been present, Senators, in this assembly when new decrees were demanded from us contrary to the customs and laws of our ancestors and I have refrained from opposition, 
not because I doubted, but that in all matters the arrangements of the past were better and fairer, and that all changes were for the worse, but that I might not seem to be exalting my own profession out of an excess partiality for ancient precedent. At the same time, I thought that any influence I possess ought not be destroyed by incessant protests, wishing that it might remain unimpaired, should the state ever need my counsels. Today, this has come to pass. Since an ex-consul has been murdered in his house by the treachery of slaves, which not one hindered or divulged, though the Senate's decree, which threatens the entire slave establishment of execution, has till now been unshaken. Vote impunity in heaven's name, and then who will be protected by his rank when the prefecture of the capital has been of no avail to its holder? Who will be kept safe by the number of his slaves when four hundred have not protected Pedanius Secundus? Which of us will be rescued by his domestics, who, even with the dread of punishment before them, regard not our dangers? Was the murderer, as some do not blush to pretend, avenging his wrongs because he had bargained about money from his father, or because a family slave was taken from him? Let us actually decide that the master was justly slain. Is it your pleasure to search for arguments in a matter already weighed in the deliberations of wiser men than ourselves? Even if we had now for the first time to come to a decision, do you believe that a slave took courage to murder his master without letting fall a threatening word or uttering a rash syllable? Granted that he concealed his purpose, that he procured his weapon without his fellow's knowledge, could he pass the night guard? Could he open the doors of the chamber, carry in a light, and accomplish the murder while all were in ignorance? There are many preliminaries to guilt. If these are divulged by slaves, we may live amid numbers, safe among the trembling throng. Lastly, if we must perish, it will be with vengeance on the guilty. Our ancestors always suspected the temper of their slaves, even when they were born on the same estates, or in the same houses with themselves, and thus inherited from their birth an affection for their masters. But now that we have in our households nations with different customs to our own, with a foreign worship, or none at all, it is only by terror you can hold in such a motley rabble. But it will be said, the innocent will perish. Well, even in a beaten army, when every tenth man is felled by the club, the lot falls also on the brave. There is some injustice in every great precedent, which, though injurious to individuals, has its compensation in the public advantage. Tacitus then goes on. No one indeed dared singly to oppose the opinion of Cassius, but clamorous voices rose in reply from all who pitied the number, age, or sex, as well as the undoubted innocent of the great majority. Still, the party which voted for their execution prevailed. But the sentence could not be obeyed in the face of a dense and threatening mob, with stones and firebrands. Then the emperor reprimanded the people by edict, and lined with the force of soldiers the entire route by which the condemned had to be dragged to execution. Syngonius Varro had proposed that even all the freed men under the same roof should be transported from Italy. This the emperor forbade, as he did not wish an ancient custom, which mercy had not relaxed, to be strained with cruel rigour. End quote. Chaos Cassius presents a logical argument for the mass execution of entirely innocent men, women and children. Execution by crucifixion, no less. His case makes reference to vengeance, but is not based upon it. Rather, he points out that the consequences of not taking this brutal course will be far worse. 
Though injurious to individuals, this action has its compensations in the public advantage. We do a horrible thing now, but it means everyone will be safer in the future. This logic isn't necessarily sound. If all the slaves know they are going to be tortured to death, then what's to stop them going on the rampage? They're probably none too fond of their Roman masters to begin with, and I imagine 600 people could do quite a lot of damage before the legion stepped in. In our own age, capital punishment and free strikes laws present the same problem. If you can get a life or death sentence for robbing a convenience store, then you might as well kill all the witnesses. It won't make things any worse for you. Irrespective of whether the logic was sound, however, there was a logic present, one requiring a moral position that we would not accept today. We have an ingrained sense of individual rights, of every life having value, of human equality. Perhaps we have a sense of karma, reaping what you sow, or of having one day to make an account of ourselves before a holy God. All of these moral changes and more would make this Roman course of action unthinkable. Or would they? Before we congratulate ourselves too much on the moral evolution of our society, perhaps we should consider to what extent the ethics of the ancient world live on. To punish Saddam Hussein for invading Kuwait, and to make sure he doesn't do anything like that again or worse, the UN imposed sanctions on Iraq, the harshest, most comprehensive sanctions in modern times. Very little goes into the country, virtually no oil goes out. The United States says there wouldn't be any sanctions at all if Saddam stopped lying about his destructive weapons and complied with UN demands. Meanwhile, it's no secret that the sanctions are causing hardships. It's not the leaders who are suffering, it's the people, and especially the children. This is a ward in a pediatric hospital in Baghdad for severely malnourished children. And everywhere we went, we saw children like these, malnourished, some close to starvation. We saw children who needed medicine they couldn't get. And this little boy died of pneumonia an hour after we took these pictures because there were no antibiotics. Jane Pierce works for the United Nations World Food Program. Most people don't realize what's going on. They, they don't see pictures of, of babies like we've just seen here. You know, babies that are a third of their, of their recommended weight. Before 1990, mm -hmm. before the war and before these sanctions, mm -hmm. um, was this all unheard of in this country? Yeah, yes. Did not exist at all? Didn't exist. What's the problem? How come eight, eight do, do not function? Shortage of the uh, uh, spare parts. Roger Norman, a human rights lawyer, was studying the water and sanitation plants that, like hospitals, used to have modern equipment. Empty. This empty, all of them empty. But Iraq has not been allowed to import chlorine under the sanctions because it could be diverted to making chemical weapons. Before sanctions, Iraq was one of the most industrialized and westernized countries in the Middle East with a large middle class. But under the sanctions, Iraq has been forbidden to sell oil. So even though the sanctions would allow the country to buy food and medicine, Saddam Hussein claims they don't have enough money to buy them. But Madeleine Albright, the United States representative at the UN, says the sanctions haven't hurt him. We have found out that he has spent an incredible amount of money on uh, things that are his priorities. Let me show you for the first time what his priority is. 
This is the presidential yacht. And he's bought this since the sanctions he went is, in effect? He has used it. Uh, it takes upkeep. Uh, now, in addition to this presidential yacht, he has built uh, 48 new palaces since the war, refurbished others to the tune of $1.5 billion. She says the U.S. is trying to prevent Saddam Hussein from making and dropping a nuclear bomb or chemical weapons on other countries. And she says he's still lying about his weapons programs. We have heard that a half a million children have died. I mean, that's more children than died when, when, in, in Hiroshima. And, and, you know, is the price worth it? I think this is a very hard choice, but the price, we think the price is worth it. It is a moral question, but the moral question is even a larger one. Don't we owe to the American people and to the American military and to the other countries in the region that this man not be a threat? That was a clip from a very famous interview with then U.S. Secretary of State Madeleine Albright, where she declared that the price of 500,000 children was worth it to keep a check on Saddam Hussein's weapons of mass destruction. There are a lot of ways Albright differs from Cassius. Her kills are not intentional, but rather the byproduct of another policy. She, along with supporting media outlets, can obfuscate the issue, claiming the increase in childhood mortality really has nothing to do with her policies. This may not be true, although more conservative estimates put the sanctions deaths somewhere between 100 and 250,000, but it can cause enough confusion in the public mind to prevent an angry mob from forming. Albright received criticism at the time, but she remained a central political figure, even having the goal to author a book warning of the dangers of fascism. She certainly never became a pariah. She utilised essentially the same justification as Cassius. It's brutal, but not doing it would be even worse. Whilst both their logics may be flawed, the Iraqi sanctions were cited by Osama bin Laden as one of the reasons for the September 11th attacks. Cassius at least seems to be honest in his objective. Weapons inspections of Iraq, by contrast, were exposed as just an excuse to provoke another war. The example I'm citing, of course, is one of thousands I could have chosen. I selected it only because it makes such a compelling comparison, coming from the horse's mouth. I don't doubt that our social morals have changed. If you insert a compass into that picture, you could even claim they've progressed. Yet maybe some more of that ancient world morality remains, more than we would like to admit. We seem to have a sharp divide, where this new morality of human rights predominates within society, but the old Roman morality governs foreign affairs, even if it has to be sprinkled with humanitarian intervention propaganda to make it palatable to the masses. Perhaps people in a future civilization free from the close proximity we have to ours, we'll look back and see more similarities between us and the Romans than we could believe exist. Oh, and as for Cassius, he did go to hell. Dante put him there in his inferno. He ended up on the very lowest circle for his role in the assassination of Julius Caesar. <laughs> 